Hey everybody, John Mark Comer here. Good day to you. And welcome to the Bridgetown Daily for Monday, June 22nd. I don't know about you, but here's what I'm thinking about today, really in kind of the last few weeks and months of my life. My mind has been all over the place. Between the 24-7 news cycle and social media and COVID-19 and then, of course, all of the recent events with Black Lives Matter, it's just a lot for my mind to take in and really for my body to absorb. There's just so much there to process. I don't have full-on OCD, but I do have, at a clinical level, an obsessive personality. So for me especially, my brain makeup is bent to ruminate on the same thought over and over again. And each time I think and then rethink a thought, I etch the neural pathway for that thought in my brain a little bit deeper for better or for worse. But this is a truth, no matter what your personality is or the level of your mental hygiene in the middle of a global pandemic and a tipping point for systemic racism in our country, this is a truth for all of us. And there is just so much fear in the air right now. A number of psychologists argue that there are just two basic human emotions, fear and love which calls to mind that line in the New Testament in 1 John, there is no fear in love for perfect love casts out fear. But now more than ever, it's easy for our mind to just get sucked into the black hole or the gravitational pull of fear with a capital F and to drain its capacity for love and compassion. So to start off, I just want to read scripture over you. Does that sound okay? In the four scriptures that I'm about to read, the common denominator in all four is a call for followers of Jesus like you and me to curate our mind stream, put another way, to take control of the flow of thoughts in our mind and imagination rather than to let them take control of our mind and then our body and then how we live and move in the world. All four scriptures I'm about to read are from Paul because the role of the mind in spiritual formation is a lodestone in Paul's New Testament paradigm. Let's start with Colossians 3. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Or here's Romans 12. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy or compassion, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Or here's the well-known Philippians 4. Choose to be joyful in God always. I will say it again, choose to be joyful. 
Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious or fearful about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about or meditate on such things. And here's the last short one from 1 Corinthians 2. We have the mind of Christ. You know, I've been living in two books over the last few months of my life. The first is a very old book from the 4th century, 350s, by Evagrius of Pontus, a monk and brilliant Christian intellectual out in the desert of Egypt. Translated into English, the title is Talking Back, and the subtitle is, wait for it, A Monastic Handbook for Combating Demons. That's pretty good. But when you read the book, what he means by demons are thoughts, feelings, and desires that drive our soul into ruin. His basic thesis is that the enemy comes to us in our mind under the guise of thoughts and feelings and desires, and we defeat the enemy's work to ruin our soul the same way Jesus did in Matthew chapter 4, if you know that story where Jesus was out in the desert and the enemy came to him with what? With a lie in his mind or imagination. And what did Jesus do? Time after time, he would quote scripture, which for Evagrius wasn't a magic wand or a kind of talesman. It was a way for Jesus to redirect his attention away from the lie of the enemy and onto the truth of God. Evagrius' key insight is that Jesus refused to get drawn into a conversation with the enemy, which he interpreted to mean he refused to let his mind think about or loop on or ruminate over or play over and over with the enemy's lie. He directed his attention to scripture, to truth, and to God. Fascinating paradigm. The other book I've been living in is You Are Not Your Brain, which is not a Christian book per se. It's by Jeffrey Schwartz and Rebecca Gladding from UCLA, and it's basically the science behind a vagrious millennia and a half old thesis, and they agree. They are leading experts in neuroscience who argue that the Darwinian materialist view of neuroscience, that the mind is what the brain does, that was kind of the older saying, meaning all you, all you really are and all consciousness really is is electrical impulses, which is where you get some secular people who argue that free will is an illusion. They argue that basically that idea of kind of the last few years has been turned upside down by the research, that it's just not, they would just say it's not true. And that in fact, the opposite is true, that you have a brain that scientists can poke and prod in a lab and measure in an MRI, and your brain does generate thoughts and feelings and desires into your conscious awareness, but you also have 
a mind, which they define as your capacity to direct your attention or to choose what you think about, what you focus on, what you let your kind of mental awareness dwell on. And through your mind or your attention, you can change your brain through neuroplasticity that a lot of us are learning about the last few years and Hebb's law, the kind of idea that neurons that fire together, wire together and what neurophysicists, and yes, that's a thing now, called the quantum Zeno effect. The more you direct your attention to dwell on the good, the beautiful and the true, the more you literally rewire your brain's neural path ways to become your true self. They would say, their language, not mine, the immaterial can change the material. My point is not to say, hey, let's not have negative thoughts about hard things in the world right now. Not at all. In fact, the opposite is true. What we need more than ever in that day and age of sound bites and radio and social media, which is just done so much to sabotage the need of the hour, which is for long, in-depth conversation, listening and learning that has nuance and complexity and the contradiction of the human experience. We need to think about things that are hard and sad and uncomfortable. We need to give our attention to really listen and learn. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is what happens after that, how often our mind will just ruminate, whether it's on a a political angst that we have or a scary news article or a careless word that hurt your feelings from somebody at work or a a kind of what if catastrophizing that you have about your future of your body or the disease or the economy or our church. That's what I'm talking about. Not the healthy kind of in-depth thought over sad things, but the unhealthy kind of ongoing rumination over thoughts and feelings and desires that do not come from God, but from the enemy, that do not ground themselves in truth, but in lies. My point is the writers of the New Testament, Christian mystics from the desert fathers and mothers all the way down to St. Teresa or St. John of the Cross or Thomas Merton or Dallas Willard or Robert Mulholland in recent years, all the way to common leading neuroscience experts all agree that what we choose to give our attention to will shape not only how we feel that day or that hour, but will shape over time the person we become for better or for worse. And for us as followers of Jesus, the primary thing that we are to give our attention to is God himself. Sure, we read the news. Sure, we pay attention. Sure, we read books and have conversation. Yes, don't misread me at all. But the primary thing that we are to dwell on in our mind and our imagination is God. We do this by reading scripture, especially the four gospels and the New Testament, but the whole breadth of the library of scripture. We do it by liturgy, whether that's kind of Anglican style, written prayer, or just singing on Sunday the truth about Jesus and his death and resurrection and the coming of the kingdom. We do this by spiritual reading. I do this at least once a week on my Sabbath. We do this above all by prayer, in particular by contemplative prayer, where we just, I mean that in the kind of wide and expansive sense of the word, where we just sit and look at God, looking at us in love. So today, as we start off another week, um, all this really is, is a very simple call for you and myself, I'm really talking to myself right now, to think about what you think about today and in the days to come. Don't let your brain 
take over your mind or your life. But with your mind, with your attention, surrender to God's loving presence all through the day. And direct your attention over and over and over again to the kingdom of God that is within you. And let God, through the self-healing of your own body, the way he built your brain, let him rewire your inner woman or man into a person of love and compassion. There are all sorts of ways to do this. Let me just give you one very simple way for you pragmatists who are listening. This is what I do, at least right now in this season of my life. Every morning, you know, most of you, I'm guessing, read at least a little bit of scripture in the morning, a psalm or a chapter of the New Testament before you go about your day, and and no pressure if not. But man, I can't think of a better way to begin your life and your day and your mind. Most days when I read, I'm guessing this happens to a lot of you, Um, A line or two or three will just kind of, I don't know, jump off the page is maybe a little bit too melodramatic. It's more like I'm reading and just there's a line that will really resonate at a deep level with my heart or maybe I will feel kind of like the spirit will just illuminate and in a subtle and kind of gentle and nondescript way, a line or an idea or a word or a phrase. Whenever that happens, I have a little scrap of paper that is right next to me when I'm reading my Bible in the morning and when I'm praying. And I just write it down and then I stick it in my pocket and I carry it with me all through the day. And whenever I notice my mind start to wander off and I start to get mad at, you know, what so-and-so said to me the other day or this really scary thing I read or a fear I have about a year from now or whatever, I just, whenever I notice my mind start to wander and ruminate into fear... I just pause, take a breath, and if I can't remember the line, I pull it out of my pocket and I just read it over myself. And I redirect my attention onto the good and the beautiful and the true and above all onto God. So today I was reading John 14 and I just was so struck by Jesus' line. This could be yours for the day if you want. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Believe in God, or that can be translated, put your deep confidence in God. Put your deep confidence also in me. So today, it's afternoon on Sunday when I'm recording this for Monday morning. Every time I notice my mind wander, I just come back to that. Let not your heart be troubled. Put your deep confidence in God. Put your deep confidence in me. And then I just go on. So to end... Rather than lead you in a prayer today, I want to just read a short excerpt over an essay over you. Very short. It's from Hui Hui Tan, a writer who grew up in Singapore but is now based in New York. She writes about a time when she was burned out and could not finish her novel and she was just really locked in the prison of her own mind and fear to the point where it was like she really could not go out in public at that point. And so she took a break from her work and got on a plane back when that was a thing and went over to Italy and was just so moved by the beauty of art and architecture and its capacity for the healing of the mind and the soul. In her essay, In Search of the Lotus Land, which is available online, she writes, as I looked at these objects in Italy, the more beauty I saw, the more beautiful I felt inside. I began to understand a profound but simple truth You become what you contemplate. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes that we, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. 
This verse uses the metaphor of God as mirror. God is a mirror at which we are told to gaze, and in the mirror we see ourselves, yet at the same time not ourselves, but God. As we look into the face of God, we become transformed. After gazing at the mere face of God long enough, we see ourselves having ourselves become images of God. When we gaze at the glorious, we become glorious. We become an image of what we look at. That's the profound truth. You are what your mind looks at. You are what you contemplate. Peace to all of you.